a positively fantastic week. This week, it's Cat Week in the city of Edmonton. Plus, there's additional city funding for day shelter spaces, more turnover at the city of Edmonton, and new provincial additions to the Police Commission. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 221. If the puns and the title haven't tipped you off, it's going to be a cat episode. Not just a cabinet episode, but mostly a cat episode on Speaking Municipally. I really encourage those of you who are bailing on the podcast who just don't. It's entertaining. It'll be fun. But of course, before we get into the rest of the podcast, we have to do the rapid fire segment. Albertans are long familiar with dealing with lakes of fire when Danielle Smith is running for premier. However, firefighters have asked that next time she refrain from making it literal across the entire province, or better yet, just skip the whole lake of fire shtick altogether. How many LRT construction workers does it take to change a light bulb? How many, Mac? No one knows. They're still fixing the escalators. <laughs> That's so stupid. <laughs> The city of Edmonton has announced the sites for new pop-up dog parks, which will see 19 temporary dog parks established around the city. Upon opening, dogs could be seen flooding in en masse, playing together, and making this the first city dog pilot program. Speaking Municipally is a publication of Taproot Edmonton. Every week, we bring you the latest on municipal affairs in our city, including what city council's up to. If you like our show, please tell a friend and give us a rating in your podcast app of choice. There's a lot of news going on in the city, what with a debate that happened uh, tonight for us as we're recording it, but last night uh, for you, dear listener. And we want to take your mind off that in the best possible way by talking about something that's not at all related to the election. And in fact, related to the best species on Earth, uh, the good old kitten cat, the domestic catechus meowis, I believe is the Latin correct name for it. And who better to... uh, talk to us about cats then linda huang the organizer of edmonton cat fest which is happening basically now welcome to the show linda <laughs> welcome or <laughs> thanks for having me <laughs> <laughs> linda has also been a taproot contributor in the past been glad to have your your work and i should also just mention right off the top that linda is one of those people that really makes things happen in our city all kinds of events and initiatives and things so we're lucky to have her on speaking municipally i think so I think, open it up, Cat Fest, for those who aren't familiar with this absolute joy of an event, what's it all about? Why does it exist? What's going to go on? Yeah, thank you for uh, giving me a platform to talk to your listeners about this very important event. There will be lots of puns in the next little while. <laughs> so do for, forgive for, give me for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Cat Fest started in 2014. And at the time, it was the only cat festival uh, in Canada. And still to this day, it's the only, um, I guess not only, it's the biggest uh, cat party in Alberta. And basically, it started out of this desire as a cat person to connect with other cat people. Um, So I think definitely back then, you did not really see cats outside. You did not really see people with, you know, their cats on a leash or going for walks or heading to the park. That was like a really uncommon thing back in 2014. And so it was sort of like, you know, how come dog people get a place where they can congregate and have fun and connect, but cat people are generally just in their homes. (laughs) Um, And then also around that time, although I feel it has, you know, 
been consistent, you know, in the last decade, cat videos were, were very popular or were becoming very popular on the internet. And so, yeah, just this idea that, hey, let's get cat lovers together in a room, a theater, uh, and let's watch some cat videos. And then maybe we'll have some people selling cat things. And then we called it a, a festival. <laughs> um, we decided we would donate proceeds from this event to local rescues to make it a charitable thing for the city. And then since then, it's just kind of gotten bigger and bigger and bigger um, until the pandemic, uh, of course, uh, hit. And then we had to go virtual, which I think lessened participation in some ways, but also expanded our reach globally, which was really cool. So actually, the first year that we did a virtual cat fest in 2020, we had people attending from, I think, over 80 cities and regions around the world, um, including in Europe and Asia, uh, and then tons across Canada and the US. But really, it's just an excuse for cat people to talk about cats <laughs> and celebrate cats and buy cat things and do cat related activities. <laughs> the other thing that seemed to take off at the same time was Instagram. And you had all these famous <laughs> pets on social media. And that's always been a part of Cat Fest, right? Yes. So something that always, I think, surprises people still to this day even some of our committee members were surprised that we have, for this year, sold 85 tickets to a meet and greet with a celebrity cat. <laughs> so Great Grams of Gary uh, is an Alberta-based adventure cat, and he's got almost half a million followers on Instagram and quite a bit on TikTok, and he's quite, uh, quite beloved everywhere. And so we invited him to the cat festival to be our special guest. We sold tickets for people to do this meet and greet. And so that's taking place on a Catterday tomorrow at Homes Alive Pets. And we've got, we've got stanchions ready. So we're going to do like, there will be lineups. It'll be pretty chaotic and, and fun, I think. But people want to meet the cats that they follow on the internet. <laughs> Tell us and, about uh, that, Troy. <laughs> well, here's the thing. <laughs> 85 tickets, there's going to be me and 84 others. <laughs> Gary, I, I, you're kind of underselling Gary's exuberance there, Linda, because Gary not only has a ski pass to Nakiska Ski Resort, he literally goes on his owner's shoulders as they ski down the hill. He's got goggles. He canoes. He is a true adventure cat. It is so exciting to be able to meet Gary. I know from my cats... It can't be that exciting for Gary. I mean, like, <laughs> definitely has higher tolerance than my cats, but he's still a cat. This can't be great for him, but I'm still going to enjoy it. Yeah, sorry. I guess I didn't really sell why he has half a million followers, but that is why people <laughs> still like an to amazing see number. him. <laughs> people like to see him doing the adventures that they wish that they could do, I think. So it's a little bit inspirational and uh, surprising, but... Yeah, it's nice because Gary is in Alberta. He's local. Um, in past Cat Fest, we've actually flown cats in from California, Minnesota. Uh, right before we switched to virtual, we were about to fly a cat in from New York. So it's this whole whole cat extravaganza thing. <laughs> and it's usually a big draw for the festival. <laughs> I've been to Cat Fest before, even though I'm not much of a cat person, certainly not compared to you two. Boo. Uh, and I still <laughs> on, our, on our whiteboard in our kitchen have a photo, like one of the photo booths that we did from one of the early Cat Fest uh, events. And I always thought it was, you know, really exciting to see people who are passionate about something come together. But one of the things that's quite different this year is it's not just one event right it's like a whole week so how did you decide to 
you know, make it such a broad thing this year? So it is our first year back in person since the pandemic began. Um, So that kind of played into it. Right before we went virtual, we were having thousands of cat lovers kind of descend onto one location, uh, which is very fun and very exciting. And as you said, it's cool to get that energy and see the passion for the people that are there. But you know, it's still pandemic times. And so we're like, do we want thousands of people in one crowded space in our first kind of go back? I would also say, you know, things I think for cat people look a lot different than they than they did three or four years ago. A lot of the events and activities that we used to introduce at the festival hadn't really been done before. Like, oh, cat yoga, that was new cat board games. That's different, like all of those sort of things. And then over the years, as as more cat people, I think got better connected on the internet and then Mm. kind of inspired by like people, cats like Gary, started to do more of that. So we also even wondered, you know, is there demand for a big sort of single day cat event? Uh, Something I love about Edmonton, and actually, we planned Cat Fest initially in 2014 to be at the on the last weekend of May, intentionally to kind of be part of the kickoff of summer and all of the festivals that we have. There's so much going on, like from now till probably Christmas. Like there's so many things happening. So um, a bit more competition that way. So yeah, so all of those factors. And honestly, I'll only share this to you guys. Also, because I just had a baby. <laughs> and I was like, how much can I take on? I don't know. <laughs> um, that's why we decided to expand Cat Fest to a week. So Cat Fest week. Um, and we basically just took a lot of these captivities that we might normally have in a single day and just break it out into smaller events throughout the week. And then there's like there's smaller cat capacity. Um, I think it's a bit more manageable. Then then the bonus is that we're we're extending that love, that like cat buzz and energy from May 20th to May 28th, rather than just a, a one and done thing. <laughs> so I mean, the event with Gary is only scratching the surface of what you're doing <laughs> in uh, Cat Week. Um, tell us about some of the other things that are going to be happening over the next week or so. <laughs> Yeah, so I invite everyone to come down to uh, Black Market Tattoo on the West End to get a cat tat. <laughs> so um, nine different tattoo artists there are committing uh, to do a full day of cat tattoos for anyone who drops by. So they've got different tiers of flash designs that you can choose from at uh, discounted rates that also then get donated uh, to Cat Fest and the local rescue that we're supporting. Forget Me Not Animal Rescue. I wanted to mention cat yoga, but it's sold out. So that's like everyone loves their cat yoga. So we have two classes for cat yoga on Sunday. So everyone's very excited to do that. Uh, We've got a cat party, potty. (laughs) It's uh, free on Saturday, May 27th at Majesty and Friends. And then a couple of the businesses at Majesty and Manchester Square will be offering some different promos so that you can kind of do other cat related things there. And then speaking of businesses this year, actually today we're launching the cat pause part, which is kind of like a digital keep track of all the cat activities and cat deals and things um, throughout the week. And so we've got about 10 different businesses that are offering cat paw cookies, cat parfait desserts, cat pacinos. Um, so all sorts of different cat themed like food uh, and drink. 
And yeah, uh, on Sunday, May 28th, people can come down to Board and Brew Cafe downtown and play cat board games. Uh, and so some proceeds from drinks um, and admission, uh, the game admission that day will also be donated to us. So the full schedule um, is at edmontoncatfest.com. Oh, and I should mention the Edmonton Public Library generously hosting a, a week of free captivities for kids and families during the day um, as well. So different cat crafts you can do um, that you can pop in for. This is uh, a city council podcast, so I will ask you a couple of cat-related city council <laughs> things. But first of all, you've mentioned it a few times. There's a rescue that you're supporting. CatFest has raised a lot of money over the years, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, thank you. Um, we have raised since 2014 $130,000 wow. for all, all sorts of different cat rescues in the city. We generally try to choose smaller rescues where like the monetary donation is going to be really meaningful and impactful for them. And most, I would say, actually, honestly, most of the cat rescues in the city are small. They're all volunteer driven. They're all just people that want to help out cats and kittens that need help. So we've been really proud uh, to to donate so much over the years. And, and honestly, a lot of what we are able to donate is thanks to like sponsors and partners. So shout out to Homes Live Pets. And the city of Edmonton is also a sponsor of ours. They're animal care and control. They kind of use the Cat Fest to remind people about pet licensing and cat like cat safety, responsible uh, cat ownership, that sort of thing. But, but yeah, we're really proud about how it's not only just a celebration of cats, there's a lot of cat education and cat welfare that we bring into it. And then the money, um, 100% of the proceeds do go to support rescues too. Amazing. The mayor, is he a cat lover? Do you know? You know, I should have asked. The previous mayor was not because he was allergic. <laughs> um, <laughs> the current mayor, I don't know what his personal stance is on cats, but yeah. he was kind enough to, um, and this is a sneak peek for people that are listening today on Friday, he was kind enough to proclaim May 20th to May 28th Edmonton Cat Fest Week uh, in Alberta's capital city. So we've got a nice proclamation I'll share with you guys. There's lots of cat puns in there. <laughs> Uh, awesome. And so, so, so regardless of his, I think, whether he has a cat or not or loves cats, he, he at least sees the the benefit of a cat festival in the city. <laughs> Do we know, Troy or Linda, like if any of the council members have cats? Are any of them cat people? Is there any of them like going to be at Cat Fest? Oh, um, see, I was just thinking, I was thinking Janice Irwin, but she's not a state. <laughs> <laughs> Oregano uh, could actually be a celebrity cat guest yeah, in the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know I like that Councillor Jans has Waldo, which uh, is a yes. cat. Councillor Salvador, unfortunately, just got a new dog. Um, so <laughs> she's right out. I know you have dogs too, Linda. You're not just a I cat. I have dogs person. as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to say that Andrew Neck gives off cat person vibes though <laughs> for sure yeah of all the counselors i think he's the one you most suspect but i don't think he actually has a cat <laughs> we're gonna have to confirm that <laughs> yeah uh yeah so th this is the next piece of taproot investigative journalism to yeah. engage in mac uh, find out who has cats yeah yep. troy from the booth here i've done some investigative journalism andrew knack despite giving off the vibes of having a cat confirmed that he does not have a cat he lives in a pet-free building and could not. However, when asked if he still considers himself a cat person, he says, if I had to choose, I would choose a cat over a dog. Uh, well, I guess we should ask then, too. The city just announced this week 
pop-up dog parks? Are the cat folks feeling left out? I know, Troy, <laughs> you've, you've had issues with this in the past. My catio on my deck, I still hold, is perfectly legal. No city bylaw people need to come investigate that. It's <laughs> it's fine. Um, but, you know, it is it is a good question. Uh, this last week or so on Reddit, there was a huge deluge of catio pictures. Uh, that's something that, like you mentioned, in 2014, the idea of seeing a cat out on a leash, you know, was pretty novel. But these days you walk through neighborhoods and catios are everywhere. People are less closeted in their love of cats and they're really showing it these days. And cats get to experience the city in a whole new way. So, Mac, I think it's probably a matter of time before we see the first cat park um, to compete with dog parks. (laughs) To be fair, something that I have compiled on my blog that's very, very popular initially was called a dog-friendly patio's guide in Edmonton. And I actually got feedback from cat people who said, hey, I take my cat out to these patios as well. It's not just for dogs. Um, (laughs) And and so I changed it to dog slash pet friendly. But uh, just to say like cat parks is not really, you know, grasping at straws here. I think that's a very realistic thing. It's really just a park. (laughs) Um, As long as your cat is leashed or or in a backpacker. And there's so much cool gear that you can get for your pets now that make it easier. One of our events actually is a cat meetup in the park. We don't know how popular it will be uh, because we're not asking for registration. We're just asking people who take their cats outside to show up. So we'll see (laughs) if that works out or not. Yeah, my cats like to go out in the backpack but their least favorite part is whenever they see another cat. So, cats, yeah. yeah. I mean, there is a reason why there aren't cat parts. <laughs> the cats don't really uh, generally get along. But yeah, I think it's cool. Like you said, there's more. I got to get in on the catio Reddit because we got a really cool one I want to share um, yeah. on yeah, that Reddit thread. But, so. but yeah, just it's really cool when you're sort of reflecting back because we're coming up on 10 years. It'll be next year. And so just reflecting back on all the different changes and like, like as you said less closeted cat people so true is like people are so loud and proud about their cat loving these days oh and there's a store downtown uh called shop chop now that i think about it we should have reached out to for the cat passport and we didn't that's fine next year (laughs) um they carry so many cat things and i remember one of the store owners told me years ago what they noticed about customers is that a dog person will only buy a dog thing if it's their dog breed that's like depicted. But a cat person will buy any cat related thing. It doesn't matter if it's a ginger cat or a tabby or, or whatever that is. So we uh, so we cat people are good for business too. <laughs> <laughs> for downtown revitalization. <laughs> well, of course, I mean, Mac might not show up. I will be there. I'll be meeting Gary. I'll be first in line for sure. Um, uh, very <laughs> excited about that. And of course, there's the whole other week of stuff coming up. You've already plugged a lot, so I don't know that we need to give you a segment to plug. But is there any final things, any final takeaways, places people should go to? Um, Definitely just check out our website. It has everything on there. And really, I think if you're not going to any of the events, because actually at this point, at least half of the events are sold out already. But if you're not going to the events, you should definitely like visit a bunch of the businesses that are selling cat related things and just kind of support them. Like the common with their strawberry meow garita, uh, <laughs> things like that. There's, oh, Milk Crate downtown is doing meow carons, like macarons. Um, and Muley's is doing a salmon sandwich on a milk bun. So cute. Uh, oh, and I did want to say downtown Spark 
is a festival that's happening next weekend and um they're having like a dog party and i just i just feel like i'm we're taking it personally (laughs) (laughs) as you should yeah (laughs) that they're hosting a dog party on the on the closing weekend of cat fest but i'm just kidding i love dogs and cats as well but yeah check out our website uh for more and thanks for having having me on It was an absolute pleasure having you as well. And keep keep it up. Uh, we <laughs> we need to get a proclamation for cat year next year. Up the ante a little bit for cats. I made a joke about cat month. So I'm sort of treating <laughs> it like a, my birth. My birthday over the years has gone from a birthday to a birth week to a birth month. So same thing for cat pets. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Linda. Well, of course, there was non-cat news this week. And as the whole province is on fire, we saw a huge deluge of smoke on uh, Tuesday and into Wednesday morning. Uh, I think now's a perfectly good time to talk about firefighters. And there was some not great news about the Edmonton Fire Rescue Service this week. Yeah, the Post Media published a workplace assessment that was completed last year by uh, a law firm. And this report talks about discrimination, bullying, hazing, allegations of all of these things at Edmonton Fire Rescue Services. And it goes on to talk about morale in the department and uh, how low it is. And and the um, representative from the union, the president, Greg Riemann, basically said that this is the lowest morale he's seen in, in decades. And some of this is being directed at the fire chief, Joe Zatilny, uh, who happens to be on a leave of absence right now, apparently for, for personal reasons, is what uh, Post Media is reporting. So all in all, you know, not a great update on a pretty important part of the city, uh, the city of Edmonton, and something that all of us are are really grateful, I think, to have lately with uh, all the wildfire craziness that has been happening, not just, you know, around the province, but right here in the Edmonton region, too. Yeah, I mean, of course, really, in the past couple weeks, we've seen, you know, outside the Hotel McDonald, even in downtown, there was a huge blaze that started in the River Valley. It's not uncommon to see fires within the city. And, you know, Edmonton Fire Rescue is pretty critical in putting those fires out. Of course, this isn't really the only city department either that has had a culture of perhaps bullying, perhaps of boys clubbish. This has been a longstanding issue all across the city of Edmonton. And I think back to the time when Linda Cochran committed to snuffing out this culture that had stymied throughout the departments in the city to Mixed success, I think, is a way of calling it. Yeah, I think it's really concerning that um, this this survey that the city did, uh, separate from this report for fire rescue services workers, found that job satisfactions actually plummeted quite significantly from 2018 to last year. So from 90% down to 48%. Uh, it's kind of the opposite direction of the way that you would hope that things are going. Um, and as you say, it's not just this department. There's been you know allegations of, of this problematic culture across the city. You know, this report also talks about how there's maybe a lack of confidence in the chief. And I don't know how much of that is because he's uh, an outsider, right? He came from Calgary and, and uh, became the chief here. So it's not like he was promoted up through the ranks in Edmonton. But that's you know, in my understanding, a little bit of a, a cultural thing inside uh, an organization like Fire Rescue Services. So there could be a little bit of that. You know, the city manager, Andre Corbold, basically said that they're working on a plan to address this. Uh, there's 21 recommendations in this report, and they're working with leaders for the fire services to uh, to, to address that. And, you know, this has to be related to um, other ongoing actions that the city is taking to try to you know, boost uh, its culture and and improve its culture and and address some of these concerns. 
I think one other thing to consider with this is when you consider the period of 2018 to now, there is also a pretty significant provincial change that has happened, not the least of which being an election and a change of government. But along with that, I'm thinking of the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. And when you call in someone who has overdosed or someone you suspect of overdosing, Fire rescues, the people that show up, they are the first responders well before EMS tends to arrive. I can certainly see how being the brunt of such a horrible traumatic crisis could lower morale. Yeah, and on top of everything you just said, of course, it's been a pandemic. And there's all the additional, you know, stressors that have come along with that. So really challenging for lots of reasons. But those kinds of difficult situations would be easier to handle if, you know, the city of Edmonton's leadership and the, you know, support structures for employees were were working to address this and had the appropriate things in place. And so they say they're doing that. And, um, you know, we'll have to, to follow up and make sure that that's the case. Of course, addressing some of these uh, drug overdose crises. One of the first things we know that helps is housing and if not permanent supportive housing, at least shelter spaces or day shelter spaces. And city council has voted unanimously on May 16th to approve another $4 million in funding to keep to keep some day shelter spaces open at the Bissell Center and uh, Boyle Street Community Services. Yeah, this is $4 million, about 2.3 for Bissell Center and uh, 1.8 for Boyle Street for day shelter services over a multi-year period, although this is just a one-time budget increase. Uh, as unanimous as you say, Councillor Cartmel was absent for the vote, but presumably would have uh, supported this. And, you know, what this funding allows these organizations to do is provide houseless individuals with space to shower, to eat, to do laundry and to access, you know, other support services. And this is this is really important, right, having these kinds of spaces. And the city and its partners are trying to find a way to offer these important services and also, you know, connect them with bridge housing and and other supports to try and get, you know, people who are experiencing houselessness away from the shelter system and into, you know, more permanent housing. And that was the second thing related to this that council approved was uh, that the mayor write a letter to the province, to the premier and the ministers of seniors, uh, community and social services to request more funding for day shelter support, but also additional bridge housing spaces. It's always fascinating to me when these types of items come out about day shelter spaces, because I did see commentary online and I, for the longest time, thought the same thing. It is always shocking to me that shelters kick people out Mm -hmm. during the daytime. That is just not something that you assume. Like, a shelter is a shelter space. And when it's hot outside, I go in my shelter, my house. Uh, I'm just, I'm not in my house exclusively to sleep on a bed. I do think this should be the default. Uh, The idea that shelters are available 24-7 for whenever people need them is a good positive change. And I think the minimum uh, that a shelter can provide. And of course, the city of Edmonton hasn't even achieved their minimum shelter standards that they've committed to because they say of a lack of provincial funding. And let's not forget too, these shelter spaces aren't enough, right? So, you know, there's about 3000 people on the latest uh, census of of folks experiencing houselessness. And, you know, these shelters are maybe 500 to 1,000 people in a day, right? So it's not enough for that entire population, but at least it's uh, it's something, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we covered, and in your conversation with Andre, you followed up on it, uh, the departure of some high-level City of Edmonton employees. 
I'm thinking of Catron Owen and Kim Armstrong. Uh, but there have been other high-profile departures at the city of Edmonton. And just recently this week, Stephanie McCabe, the deputy city manager of urban planning and economy, departed. She said she's leaving for an unnamed technology company founded in Edmonton. Yeah, I mean, good for her. That's uh, that's awesome that she'll uh, land somewhere here in Edmonton that can have a real impact. And, and Stephanie's been, you know, one of the point people at the city of Edmonton over the last number of years for anything related to innovation, economic development, you know, those partnerships with organizations like Edmonton Global and Edmonton Unlimited, who we interviewed last week. Uh, so I think this is a pretty significant loss for the city. I mean, anytime you know, there's an executive team member that leaves, they're going to take some, you know, institutional knowledge with them. So Katrin, Kim, uh, Rob Smythe was another one who left earlier this year. Now Stephanie McCabe. There's quite a bit of turnover in the senior ranks there, which I, you know, I think is concerning, despite what, you know, Andre Corbold told me when I, uh, when I asked him about it, he did not seem quite as worried to it. And in fact, said he was, you know, not so keen to hire quickly after these folks to fill those positions. But in, in aggregate, it's got to have a bit of an impact on, on leadership in the city. Well, it's interesting that you use the word turnover because that implies that new people have been hired to replace. There's not actually a lot of turnover happening, I don't think. A lot of these positions that have been vacated are pretty vacant right now. I, I'm thinking we have a pretty skeletal and absent executive leadership team. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how quickly these positions will get filled. Presumably, they have to be at some point. And I, you know, understand the desire to maybe save a little bit of money in the meantime related to the OP12, you know, budget cuts that we've talked about in the past and things like that. But there's a city to run. There's a 13,000 person organization here that, you know, needs leaders at the top of each of its departments and needs people who can, you know, um, agree on, with the city manager on how best to take council's direction forward and then to help funnel that down through the organization to the people who are actually doing the work on a day to day basis. So I think it's got to be pretty impactful. I think, uh, you know, Stephanie McCabe is one of those people who had really good insight and uh, and relationships with organizations outside of administration and was able to bring that into the city of Edmonton to try and, you know, really move things along on behalf of Edmontonians. So I think it's a big loss. And of course, you know, one is a coincidence, two is happenstance, three is a clue uh, or whatever um, Agatha Christie liked to say. I know that's not right, but it's close to right. Yeah. And approximately correct is my brand on this podcast. <laughs> there is definitely a canary in the coal mine here. And I, I wonder what it is signaling because there's really two ways to look at this. One is this is coming from the top. The city manager is looking to clean house and perhaps bring on new people to enfranchise a new vision. Uh, but it could also be coming from the bottom. You know, executive leadership is seeing changes that they're not liking. They're seeing writing on the wall that gives them cause for concern, and they're jumping off a sinking ship before it goes down. Mac, do you have any sense of what that might be, if either of those are true? Or, or maybe even something a little more in the middle, right? Where the city manager, you know, didn't come in, you know, guns blazing, you know, fired everybody, I'm making a new vision, I'm bringing in my own people, but has potentially, and this is, I'm not saying this is what he's done, but, you know, potentially has created conditions in which some of these folks who've been there for a long time either don't feel as supported as they'd like to, maybe don't feel like their agendas and the things that they were working on are getting the right kind of attention and support. And, you know, after, you know, giving it a shot, you know, the old college try, maybe then they decide, okay, you know, my energy is is better spent elsewhere. And I'm, I mean, we've been critical of all of these people 
on our show before, Katrin Owen, with, you know, some of the things communications has done, Stephanie McCabe has spoken at council a lot. And, you know, we've, you know, accused her essentially of, uh, you know, representing the developers in some situations and things like that. But at the end of the day, I think the reason that these folks go to work for an organization like the city of Edmonton is they actually want to have an impact. They actually want to make a difference in their community. And well, those that live in Edmonton anyway. <laughs> and it's challenging to do that all, you know, if, uh, if you're not feeling that level of uh, support that uh, makes it possible to do that hard work on a day-to-day basis. So it could be something, you know, attrition by, you know, lack of attention, lack of support almost, rather than any sort of strategic thing to, you know, fire people or, or whatever. I mean, it's also possible in this case, of course, that maybe it's just an opportunity you can't pass up, right? Those things do come along. Yeah, I mean, I've worked as a cog in the public service before. And I know, given my nature, I was very frustrated that I could not make the change that I wanted to make, because there's bureaucratic systems that are slow moving and hard to correct. But I think being a deputy city manager, being at the top of the totem pole, that could be a level of frustration if, you know, you have to sign your name on these things. You have to go to council and bear the criticism of Troy and Mac for these decisions that maybe you don't necessarily agree with. And that, I imagine, could be something that's very hard to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Of course, we have no insights. If any of the departing executive leaderships want to come talk to us, we're here. Uh, Feel free to reach out via email. But uh, until then, speculation shall ensue. (laughs) Well, we'll keep digging and see what we can learn. One other thing to say about this, of course, is that council, as we've talked about before, has two employees, the city manager being one of them, the city auditor being the other. So these departures might be concerning if you're a counselor, but you don't really have any ability to do anything about it, right? The city manager, it's his team. He gets to decide what that team looks like and how best to carry out the work of the city and the vision of council. And, you know, the mayor uh, was asked about this because city, um, city manager Andre Corbel gave an update to council this week at, at, uh, at their meeting about OP12 and where they're at with their cuts. So we had talked to him about that a couple of weeks ago, and, and now he... Uh, you know, updated council and and the mayor was asked about that. And and he said, well, it's not our department. You know, it's really up to the city manager to decide where that stuff comes from. So, so far, at least council seems to be publicly taking a little bit of a a hands-off approach to what could be pretty concerning turnover. Though they are taking uh, steps to replace their other employee. Uh, A new city auditor has um, not been hired, but a recruitment committee has been struck uh, with council voting unanimously to appoint Councillors Rice, Wright, Stevenson, and Principe uh, to the recruitment committee. Yeah, we'll have a new city auditor here very shortly. Uh, you know, it's a probably a less political position, I think it's fair to say, than the city manager. You really want somebody who's probably got some sort of legal accounting background of some kind uh, and somebody who can you know, carry forward the work of that office. And it's not just one person. Of course, the, the city auditor has a, an office of people that support that work. So um, I wouldn't expect major changes there. Yeah. And like you said, I think we both had the same reaction to this committee. We might have raised our eyebrows a little bit that both Rice and Principe are on the same committee. But like, I don't know that forensic accounting has a conservative or a progressive bent. It's just like, you know, someone understands spreadsheets and you want them to be the auditor. Uh, So I imagine we're going to get a good auditor out of this committee, no matter what. And city council still approves of work plans and things like that for that office. So there's opportunity to, uh, to guide that work in the future. As a final piece of note, uh, one of the marquee fights or acts of this city council has been attempting to get a handle on police accountability and 
we would argue failing to do so. The police commission is the method by which city council exerts control uh, over the police. Just before the election, the UCP has dropped a very interesting bombshell, something that is, as I think, unprecedented in Alberta. And they appointed two police commissioners to the Edmonton Police Commission. They did the same down in Calgary as well. And we don't know who these are. Yeah, this was done the very first day of the provincial campaign, election campaign. The names of the commissioners, they said, would not be made public until this onboarding process is completed. Uh, this is the problem down in Calgary as well. You know, the city council there was upset about this. Council here, at least some of them, including Mayor Amarjeet Sohi, you know, maybe weren't so upset, but said that they weren't consulted. They had no information about this. They don't know, you know, what's going to happen. We talked about this in a previous show that the province had made updates to the Police Act. And uh, one of those updates was to allow them the power to appoint members outside of, of what city councils can do. And so they've gone and exercised that new power. And uh, we're all waiting to find out who these appointees might be. With a change in government, we did also say that that power is revocable by the province. The province does have the power to, I believe, without cause, remove any commissioners that the province appointed. So, yes, continuing the trend of slingshotting governments, undoing everything the past government did, that is certainly an option should we have a change in government. And these commissioners are bad. We don't know that these commissioners are, you know, appointed with an agenda. They could just be decent commissioners that the province is kind of stepping out of line by appointing to a body that they really shouldn't be meddling with. Right. And then you had an update, Troy, on one of the existing commissioners to the police commission. So, of course, we've talked about a Jody Callahoo Stonehouse on this podcast before. She was the commissioner who had levied conflict of interest accusations against Councillor Ann Stevenson, and she forwarded those complaints to Mayor Amarjeet Sohi, who promptly said, I can't do anything with this, not my department. Um, but she is running for the NDP in uh, Edmonton, Rutherford. Um, and so one of the things I had been watching is, well, how does this affect her role in the police commission? Because while looking through the legislation, I don't think you're prohibited from being an MLA and serving on police commission. You absolutely should not. Uh, yeah, for that's sure. plain to see. Uh, but I had heard absolutely no news about a plan to either resign or take a leave of absence or step away or, you know, address the conflicts, which commissioners are required to do. The Police Act and the uh, Police Commission Code of Conduct requires that if there is any even apparent or presumed conflict of interest, commissioners must be proactive in guaranteeing that the public doesn't perceive this. Uh, so I was, I was looking for that perception and um, I couldn't find anything. So I reached out to the police commission and uh, and Commissioner Stonehouse, and turns out that two days before the writ dropped, there was a leave taken by uh, Jody Callahoo Stonehouse. But um, I don't know that she quite alerted the public about this. Best I can tell and best I can get from the information of the police commission, they updated a single page on the police commission website to put parentheses on leave uh, on her uh, H1 tag in her uh, profile page. And that's it. Uh, there, were, there was no tweet. There was no release. There was nothing to that effect. So that has happened in somewhat secret. Well, good thing you asked to find out. And, and now we can tell more people about that on Speaking Municipally. It's just one of those things where following the beat uh, week to week uh, really helps unearth some news that you might not have found otherwise. And of course, 
I'm plugging the pulse. You know it. Uh, it's Edmonton's daily news briefing, and it tells you everything you need to know about Edmonton every weekday morning with short, informative updates with what's happening at City Hall, but also coverage of business, tech, food, the arts, and more. And sometimes that and more is Catfest, uh, which this podcast brought to you today, but you could have heard about that in the pulse where you subscribe. And if you're not, I don't know how to help you. We've talked about this for several weeks. Just go to taprootedmonton.ca and subscribe. It's very easy. It's free. Just just get it done. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Linda. And we're Speaking Speaking Meowsly. Meowsly.